You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kalen. So how you been, man? You've been busy, on the road here a bit like lately. Good problems, but busy. So, Mike, I don't know if you know Derek, but Derek, nope. uh, Derek was in the 82nd, but what's most interesting is that Derek recently blew out a bicep. Oh, yeah, that was... I like it like Look tore, at that. like the bruises like it's I don't know I okay, thought it was yeah it's, it sucks though know that I mean it's I love all your t-shirts though man I got a couple soft leak t-shirts yeah no actually they're a, they're a sponsor of mine I do a lot of uh, high level adaptive sports and they actually came on board and they've been helping me out and getting getting myself out there a little bit more than I was before so great dudes um, I work with them on programming and stuff too um, how'd you tear your bicep you know, <laughs> I was in uh, I was like in Newark and then uh, doing like a like a real quick New England in and out loop to visit family and friends. And I stopped in Newark, New Jersey and at a St. Benedict's Academy and uh, they have a boxing program and a CrossFit program. So I went in to do the class at like 530 with their soccer and rowing team. And one of the rings snapped on me and I fell like deadfall on the floor. And I think that's what kind of irritated. It. And then I think the boxing with some legit boxing, like 17-year-olds, a couple hours later, probably exaggerated the problem. So, <laughs> so when you fell on the floor, you didn't stop. You just hey, I mean, you know, there was people looking. What are you, 25? Like, like I had to stand up, and I was like, ah, like, I, I was like, I'm almost it happened, 50, but, like, If I, I fall on the floor, out. it's over. It's over. Oh yeah, no, it, it typically ruins my day. Like you can ask Meredith. Like if I fall, typically when I fall, like you just. You don't talk to me, don't touch me, don't be around me for like 10, 15 minutes. I poked myself in the eye two weeks ago and I canceled my workout for a week. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, that's like hard to do with glasses too, man. But well, it's just for reading. And they make me look more distinguished and more wise. Hey, whatever so, works, man. I'm, I'm all about just I don't wear them normally because the chicks, chicks don't like them. Though. See, that's the thing. It's like I, I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> well, I don't either, but you know. Yeah, how, how was it? I'm a tough guy, so I'm, I guess I'm always worried about it. <laughs> How did you jack up your eye, Mike? Because I forgot to ask you about it. You said you poked yourself, but how? So, you know, I get up to work out and stuff about four before I go to school. I, I sat up at four o'clock in the morning, and I, 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 Robert, I think my nose was itchy. I don't know. <laughs> but the next thing I know, the, it was like I got punched in the face. And I, I think I just reached up with my left hand and hit my inside of my right eye. And I, I think I sent you a picture of it, but it was black. It was jacked I mean, up. I mean, you look like a big, I don't know, marble or something. It was. It was worse a day later, and it, I mean, it, it turned black. The kids at school thought it was, you know, thought I was creepy. It's kind of fish eye. Uh, and this was what, like last year? No, no, it's a couple weeks ago. Oh, I don't know. The last time I got a black guy, I think, was from an ex-girlfriend punched me in the face. Oh my god! <laughs> the whole thing turned black, and it, it, it was like the kids were like, "Well, if the other one would turn black, you could like play on Walking Dead or something." Yeah, that's gross. And that was that turned out to be okay, huh? Was it like a broken blood vessel? So, fine now. Yeah, I just I kind of it was just to the inside of the iris, so there's okay. no damage to the eye at all. But um, really sensitive to light for a couple of weeks and painful, man. Just like I got it, punched. If you go on the Instagram after uh, the world's strongest man in August, I ended up blowing out like all of the blood vessels in both of my eyes. Lifting <laughs> from lifting, though, right? Yeah, from lifting. So it was yeah. like they were bloodshot red for like three. Like almost two months. My, my doc told me, and he's a retired SF guy too. But he, he said, um, he said, you know, I've had patients come in that sneezed and and blew them out, and they just turned red, and it clears up in a couple of days. But mine took about twenty. Yeah, 
Yeah, it took a while. Jeez, I oh mean, so when did you transition out of the Army, Derek? Because you were part of the 82nd? Yeah, I was in the 82nd. And, uh, well, I was at Walter Reed until 2011. And then I went down to 4th RTB as like operations guy for like a year. And I think 2000, it was like middle of 2012. Like I think May or June of 2012. I, like I got my papers and I was done. So uh, four years ago. Okay. Almost five. So you went down to RTB. Yeah, I just, I like, <laughs> I was like really over being in the hospital environment and it got to the point where they wouldn't release me to go. So I just called a friend who had a friend who had another friend. And long and short, is like there was a Monday where there was a formation at like Walt's Reed that I wasn't at, but I was at one at Benning and <laughs> some guys way above my head talked it out and worked it out. And I got remote care for like a year and a half down at <laughs> Benning. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I was just over the hospital. Like that place, it's great to like go there and recover and get in and out. I had a fantastic experience there, but at the same time, you know, some people get there and spend too much time there and then they forget there's a whole another like 50 years after that they got to deal with. Was it at the old facility? I, yeah, I was at the old hospital. I don't know. The new hospital's nice. I'm glad they got it, but like it's not at all the same vibe. Is the new like, one down on Belvoir or is it out at Bethesda? Uh, where they, where they merged? Yeah, they just, yeah, it's Bethesda. Yeah. I think the old one's like a shopping center or being converted into a shopping center really what a crappy neighborhood to put a shopping center well yeah but you know what though like is there really a crappy neighborhood in dc because i mean eventually money's yeah, gonna all get southeast there. dc yeah you know, money's gonna money's money's gonna get there <laughs> they were selling houses on 16th street for like a million dollars and getting yeah, torn yeah. down and building three million dollar houses on them i just remember i was a branch guy in 2006 and i was back working the pentagon in 2011 and i used to go over and and visit guys in walter reed and at bethesda there was a time in, in 2006, 2007, that they were telling people, not one, not to wear your uniform if you got off the metro and walked, which I always walked and cut across that old school area. Is that when there was a sniper or some shit like that? Oh, no, way after that, way after that. But there were people getting mugged. There were guys, vets in wheelchairs getting mugged, going from the metro to, to Walter Reed and back. Jesus. And it was just a bad, a bad time. Maybe it's gotten a lot better. When I was there in 2000. Yeah, it was a lot better. Everything was getting off. Like, yeah, we had, I never had any issues like that. I mean, even D.C., the community down right where it was on Georgia Ave, yeah, there was, it was like a rougher neighborhood and parts of it. But, like, you go right down the street, and you're in, like, a very nice outdoor shopping center with families. And, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's just one of those. It's an old city. It's got good and bad neighborhoods. Like I would never live there. I wouldn't ever live there. Oh, it's no, I love it. I wouldn't place. live in D.C., but I'd live in Northern Virginia. Probably That's too many people it. that don't give a shit about that area. I, I, I can't do that. <laughs> My wife feels just like you. She hates it. Nobody yeah. smiles. Nobody says hello. Good morning. Everything's like forty-five minutes away, even if it's a mile down the street. Uh. Uh-uh. So, what brought you to Walter Reed? Uh, well, I was uh, a platoon leader in Afghanistan with the second of five hundred eight, and we were doing a dismounted patrol to open a school, and ended up getting ambushed. And it was a complex ambush. And during that time, I was I was actually hit by a, like a one hundred four, I guess, or a one hundred seven. That was a part of a daisy chained IED. That was the initiator. A fantastic soldiers on the ground, got everything taken care of, and uh, the doctors in the field did a good job of piecing me back together. And then I managed, after about six surgeries and three flat lines, to make it back to Walter Reed. And then I, I spent the next 14 months just learning how to, like, do it all over again. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So your transition, when we talked on the phone, it was I didn't know how your transition came about because... When you're talking about medical discharge, that transition comes very abruptly. I mean, you're you're not prepared by any means. Although you did have some time at Fourth RTB, I guess prior, but yeah, 
I mean, I see where you're going with that, and I understand that it's like an abrupt versus something you can see coming, like, you know, old people dying versus a kid dying, but if you're like an adult and you approach our job as a profession, and you actually legitimately understand the potential of what that means, losing my leg was not very difficult. <laughs> like, it wasn't bad at all. The worst part for me was getting out of the military and not having that structure that I, like, thrived in, and those people that I could trust and rely upon. And another thing is that, like, being in the military, people don't realize it when they're in, but that job is always rewarding. Whether you really do it for whatever your reason is, you feel like you're contributing, making a difference. Whereas, like, as a civilian, a lot of jobs, I don't think people feel that way. And I think that's why depression, a lot of these things are occurring. No, I think you're right. I, and I, a lot of the guys that I talk to, I try to push them into something that is giving back or a continuation of service. If you can find something to where you're, you're, you're participating in, in something bigger than yourself, if you're like giving back to community, I don't care what it is. I'm a high school teacher now. So, I mean, anything where you, you can have an impact and influence on other people or your yep. community, then I think a lot of veterans, one, were built for that. And two, you get that sense of satisfaction that's it's not the same and it'll never be the same as, you know, working with your teammates. But um, it, it gives you a sense of accomplishment of something that a lot of guys that go into industry to make a lot of money or into, into even government contracting, they make a lot of money, but they don't have that, and they'll never get it again. So one of the things that I talk to people about all the time when they ask is try to find something that you can you can earn a living and have that sense of service that you've kind of become accustomed to in the military. And that's it. I mean, guys, you lose that sense of purpose, and then you try to correlate what in the civilian world is going to give me that same sense of reward and camaraderie, and there's... It just doesn't fucking exist. And I mean, that's fine. And it's sad because that's when guys like us start getting drunk and telling war stories and shit. And at the end of the day, you're not going to have that in the civilian world. You got to move on and understand that, like, you had that moment, but that moment doesn't define your entire life. And I think people get caught up in that moment, especially right now, given that we're all younger and our moment was war. You know what I mean? Like, our, our moment wasn't like... Russia, our moment was like, hey, we're going to kill fucking savages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's our moment. Our some, guys, some guys get caught fighting. up in it, too, and they think that this is the best I've ever been. I've done it. I made it. Yeah. And, and you know, like, that's you know, like supposed to be the pinnacle of your society, though, is being a warrior. And then we've all done that, but then we realize society doesn't give a fuck about warrioring skills. Yeah. No, they don't. You know what I mean? So we, and that's our own personal battle. And that's why guys are killing themselves because they don't have that purpose and they haven't reached out. They haven't found anybody to be accountable to and they haven't given back. And most of them probably don't know how because I was a 27-year-old captain that didn't know how to write a resume. You know what I mean? Like, I'm caught. No, they don't, no, they don't teach us that. They don't teach us yeah. that transition. Uh-uh. They don't prepare you for that. I mean, I'm an SF guy. They spent yeah. a year and a half training me to be a commando and to go teach other guys to be commandos. Yeah. But, but I got five days of transition assistance yeah. to get out and, and to live the rest of my life. And it was worth it. I tell people the, the transitioning programs from the Army to civilian life is as efficient as our high school to real world life. You know what I mean? You have no fucking clue what's going on. You're lost and alone. You think you know what's going on. And by year four, you finally figure it out and you're lucky to made it that far. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Army Colonel Alumni Program is probably set up, which I think it's still called that. It's Pro called TAP. I mean, TAP, they don't okay. have an ACAP really anymore. But yeah, yeah, Transition Assistance yeah. Program. So the Transition Assistance... Yeah, Transition Assistance Program is primarily set up to give you the very basic tools needed to walk out the door. 
unfortunately, most people think of it as being somebody that can sit down with you like a consultant and go, hey, Derek, these are the things that you did. We need to put this in layman's terms so that those individuals that are usually doing that type of TAP program are not really qualified to take it to that level. Matter of fact, they allow you to continue putting your rank in there, allow you to put jargon and different types of statements that only military people would understand, no civilians would understand it whatsoever. It really doesn't benefit you that much. But it's it's really good for a junior soldier maybe that needs that basic skill knowledge because right. they've never faced it. And that's fair, but I, I mean, yeah, you're right, but... E3s and below, E4s and below, are the guys primarily transitions. But even sergeants these days are, I would consider a sergeant being able to work into like a lower middle management position. And he should be able to write a resume and represent himself well too. Like NCOs, I, I have guys that were starting first classes in seven and a half years of service. Okay, so now they're 25. Yeah. And they yeah. decide to get out and they can't write a fucking resume? Like that's a problem. We're not learning those skills. What are the basic skills? Because ACAPs didn't tell me shit about how to find healthcare or dental or right. how to pick a provider or I don't know what the difference between a HMO and a PPO is because, oh, that's right. I had TRICARE my whole life. When I got hurt, sick, wounded, uh, I went to the ER on base and there was a doctor that was a captain that took care of me and it checked itself out and I went home. People are scared to try to figure this out and they're too prideful to ask for help because they're like, well, everybody in the world fucking does this. And the truth is everybody in the world is just as confused. We just happen to also be military. (laughs) (laughs) The the purpose of the program is to keep guys from becoming homeless, right? I mean, that's limited in scope and limited in what the money goes toward and the the quality of people that they hire to run the programs. They're not geared to take you, Derek, to, to put you into that management position. Right. I mean, you, you've got you've got an education. I just think it's in- sad that our, our goal is just to prevent guys from becoming homeless. I agree. I, you know, like, hey, son, like my goal for my kid is just to, to make sure that he doesn't murder anybody before 18. And, and I'll, I'll throw a disclaimer that's a out there, too, that there are there are programs in the country that are better than what I went through at Fort Carson, Colorado. I've got buddies of mine that are retired 06s that went through the programs that they have in the Pentagon and they're geared toward executive leadership. I mean, they bring real executives in to, to coach these guys, to help them write resumes, to get them the contacts that they need, to put so them in. Those guys are making a half million dollars a year when they get out. You could take yeah. 200 privates, add their annual salary together, and that's maybe 106 getting out. I mean, right. and look, they deserve that retired. money. Absolutely, they do. But let's not forget, like the bulk of the military, even me as a captain, I realize it's okay for most people not to give a fuck. Let's take care of our dudes. We're not taking care of our dudes. Like, I'll, okay, we'll do it just like we do in the Army. The junior officers will make sure their ju- the NCOs and blah, blah, blah are all taken care of. And it works its way down. At some point, the connection stopped. And I keep hearing how easy it is for a vet to get a job. But I got a lot of buddies calling me asking, hey, why doesn't U.S. State Jobs take out my resume? How am I not qualified? Oh, it's because they use Resumex, which is a computer, to scan for keywords and then puts them in a stack of paperwork. Oh, and your resume is 33 pages long? What happened? Why do we pay a director of a hospital $200,000 a year if they're not going to at least do face-to-face interviews with middle management? I mean, is that asking too much from like a CEO or a CFO or even a VP of operations to just stop and be like, you know, Resumex said this is a no-go, but, oh, because we get 30 million applications a day? Fine. Then fix it. Make it a local job search. Turn the hospitals from federal to state or state to county. But, like, Jesus Christ, figure it out because dudes are dying. 
Robert, that's, that's your rant. background. You can jump that's on my that. rant. That's my rant, man. <laughs> my bad. That's a, it's, it's a valid yeah, rant. I'm fired up. <laughs> I, I think part of the problem is, is that we have gotten to a society that is using technology to its advantage, and rightfully so, because you don't want have the money to always have individuals scanning resumes. I mean, those days of being able to do that are pretty much gone. So you do search for keywords. And I wrote about this even in a book that I wrote that you have to have that knowledge and understand that if they're searching for keywords and you're using military jargon and keywords from your military service, they are not going to relate. They're not going to transfer over to the private sector. It's just not going to happen. So you have to understand how to speak a different language, how to communicate differently, how to use those same terms to describe what you did within the military. I just received the resume not too long ago, and it was the same thing. I mean, it's an individual that had recently separated. She had retired, but she had all kinds of experience and knowledge and background that was in there. I think she separated as a lieutenant colonel, and when I started looking over the resume, it didn't read that way. It didn't read that she was qualified necessarily for anything within the private sector because the way it was worded was to, to highlight her military experience for perhaps a GS job, if that's what she was looking for, but that's not what she was looking for, or to get promoted within the military, which she wasn't doing because she was retired. So again, it it depends on where you are, what you're doing, and how that transitional phase is going to be. But it makes it all the more important that while an individual is in the military, that they start getting the knowledge needed early, as early as possible, so that they can go out there and make themselves more marketable within the private sector. Hey, sir, and I'm right there with you, and that makes total sense, except for it goes back to two simple principles. One, when you're a private in the Army, what are your three concerns? And then two, 99% of people wish they would have invested money earlier in their lifetime to prepare for their... So it's one of those things where they don't, that's not their primary focus, because when I just signed my new enlisted contract, I'm good for six years. Right. Like I'm not going to start thinking about my my transition at year two. I'm gonna, I'm still worried about you know booze and bullets and broads. So I mean I get that yeah the onus is on the soldier, but at the same time like if we're trying to help them out, we're not doing a very efficient job. No, I get that, and but there are a lot of nonprofit agencies, and we talked about this too, Derek, about how there is kind of a generation of entitlement that's out there that is yep. seeking the free handout or the free opportunity, and let's face it. If you want anything, you're going to have to go out and earn it. That's yep. the best way to do it. So don't be seeking those handouts. Again, it, the onus does have to go on to the individual. Some. Yeah. No, there, and, there's an education aspect of it that goes with just about any career change. And it doesn't matter going from the military to civilian life or from one civilian job to another. That if you're doing a complete career change, you've got to take that initiative and either acquire the skills, get the education, whatever it is to make your play into that next, you know, career. And a lot of guys, to, you know, to kind of pony off what Robert said, they don't want to put that effort in. They think, hey, I've already done it. And like what I said earlier, this is as good as I've ever been. This was great. I've done all these great things in the Army. You should give me that job and you should pay me six figures. And the yeah. world doesn't work that way. And that's what people don't realize is getting out as a captain with seven, almost eight years of service, as much as I was making, I was one of the lucky few to find a job that was even in that pay range because a lot of my buddies are calling going, all I can find is and $60,000 a year jobs. I'm like, bro, civilian world, that's what your, that's what your skills are going for right now. Yeah. And like, they're, they're used to making seventy, eighty thousand, and they're not used to that lifestyle change. And they don't want to make the adjustment or their wife's passed or they've already got four kids. So like, we also have to maybe, and there'll be some flack over this, 
start dropping military pay, drop officer pay 10%, increase enlisted pay 2.5%, and then make everybody pay a small amount into the TRICARE system to unload some of that debt. But at the same time, the civilians better be ready to pay their share of due, too, because if we're going to be doing that in the military, we're not going to be the only people suffering. That's We do enough of that on their behalf as it is. So like when we're ready for real change, that's the kind of conversations we'll be having, I think. So what about this whole thing on generation entitlement, though? What's your perspective of that, about a lot of these guys that are looking for these nonprofits or these organizations to kind of help them out, and whether it's making the transition or other things? Because we run into a lot of nonprofits that are out there, and there seems to be one that crops up almost every day. They're really trying to help the individual, but I don't know if, if it's really bettering those individuals coming off active duty. I don't think it is. I think it's already too much. Like people need to stop creating their own and just find a good one to support. And then too, the entitlement aspect with some of these guys is that onus is on the, the organization to legitimately vet the guys that they're handing money to. And there's there's a saying we had at Waltz Reed, you can be a dirtbag soldier and lose a leg and still be a dirtbag. Just because somebody's hurt doesn't mean they were a good soldier. It doesn't mean they're they're worthy of any kind of charity. Like people need to automatically stop assuming the best in people because they had a bad day. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the and and I know for a fact there's guys that have asked charities explicitly, "Hey, I have seventeen or twenty thousand dollars in debt. Can you give me that money so I'm not I don't have that debt?" And it's for dumb shit like buying trucks and and they're just like they're accustomed to these people waiting on them hand and foot, and they don't realize like they're just giving this kid a fish. Yeah. They're not teaching. They're not teaching him anything, and they need to fucking quit. Just like these people with PTSD, like there's legitimate people suffering and not getting benefits because you want a fucking free ride. We need to start cracking down on this stuff and not be afraid to tell veterans no or I'm sorry or tough shit. But at the same time, there's a lack of that kind of stuff that we can be said to the civilian world that needs to happen too. Like you said, there are a lot of good soldiers, airmen, sailors, marines that are out there that are needing the services that truly have PTSD, that are needing that type of assistance. And, and I'm sure it's challenging for individuals or organizations to try to weed through all that to find those right people. I don't know how much due diligence is done in order for them. It to doesn't feel like any. It's, it seems like it's a homeboy network most of the time. Like, you know somebody that knows somebody. And like, yeah, I mean, that's how it will typically work. But you got to branch out beyond that and help other people. Like, it just, it just doesn't. Uh, there's organizations I never even heard of until I talked to somebody that was in a completely different realm. And it's just, it blows my mind how how many people are out there helping, and that's awesome, but they need to vet. They need to just vet through. They're giving people, in some cases, they're giving guys that have legitimate drug problems cash. Well, and and they're doing it with the best of intentions. Right, sure they are. But that doesn't, that doesn't help that guy at all. I'm also seeing so, a message given to the private sector then that's not necessarily positive about veterans. I, I, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a long, shitty road on both sides. Veterans are taking, some veterans are taking advantage of the charity, whereas, but then you have civilians taking advantage of the veteran community, like Wounded Warrior Project and, and large groups like that, or, or like or corporations sponsoring like bullshit charities they know that are only paying 20 cents to the dollar, but, you know, the NFL is sponsored by all these people, but how is the NFL sponsoring a nonprofit whom itself is a nonprofit? we need to just start going through these 501c3s and start calling bullshit 
And the federal government's not going to do it because there's too much money in it. And so those of us legitimately trying to make a difference and suffering and barely afloat, it's because people are too afraid of change. Well, people are abusing the system. Yeah. And that's part Absolutely. of the reason why. Because then it starts giving a bad name for all. I mean, you know, you can mention one 501c3, but then you look at all of them. It doesn't necessarily mean they're all bad. But I, I would highly recommend every individual do enough due diligence and background on a 501c3 that they're going to support to make sure the dollars are going to the right place. Is the organization being transparent? And at the same How much of the dollars going towards their actual mission as opposed to supporting their mission? Right. Because they'll say, oh, a a 99 cents of every dollar goes to supporting our mission. Okay, so that means they're paying actors and TV hosts and airtime. If they say a dollar, one dollar of every dollar goes to our mission, then okay, then that means they're. We give 100% of our donations to our actual mission, which means one, we don't take any pay. There's no, there's no money being paid to advertising or anything like that. You give us a dollar, a dollar goes towards getting an athlete to, to an event. Yeah, and I definitely know of organizations that do not take anything where the individual We've had them on the show. Yeah, we have. And yeah. really good but organizations. Those organizations people are giving money to, and that's what sucks. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? We're the first ones to suffer because people are like, well, I don't want to give money because I don't know who to give money to anymore. Well, Guess what? McDonald's is still going to sponsor the Paralympics, so they're still going to get to do their shit every four years. But the other guys are going to be hosed because it's they're going to stop giving to, I don't know, team some assembly required or the Yellow Ribbon Fund has an adaptive team or Crossroads or any of these other legitimate adaptive 501c3 by adaptive for adaptive athletes. You know, and then you have organizations out there that the leadership has no immediate relation to anybody that they're trying to help. They just want to help. Like civilians or non-amputee, it's just like I get that you're trying to help, but like, why are you creating your own instead of helping one out if you're not even in that life? Yeah, it just makes it just makes you wonder if there's an agenda. I'm not at like Moms of America breastfeeding challenge conferences trying to figure out more efficient ways because I don't have to deal with that problem, and I would look odd being in a place like that. <laughs> Yes, you would. <laughs> I think so. Is that even allowed? <laughs> no, I don't think so. There's going to be so many angry breastfeeding. And well, I think you're okay as long as you're not trying to breastfeed yourself. I don't even know if that's possible. <laughs> but but, have, you but have you tried? We're all three going to try when we get off the game. <laughs> What's your what's your stance on medical marijuana? Because I've heard a lot of people talking about it in regards to PTSD. Um, you know, I was that kid growing up that was always in sports and stuff, and I never, I never played with drugs. I drank a, a lot in college. Like I would say, the typical amount, not a lot, but like weekends and partied with my frat friends, but never did drugs. Went in the army, never did anything like that. And then I got blown up, and I was 26 on all kinds of meds, probably like 20, 20 to 27 pills a day, and I wasn't sleeping, and I wasn't getting better, and I was, my weight was fluctuating, and I wasn't eating, and. The thing that the nightmares and like the sleep were the the thing that sucked the most. And finally, uh, after having, you know, talk with um, a doctor in a medically legal state, I went and actually tried it and had to walk in and like I'm talking to like this white Rastafarian kid, I guess. And I'm like way out of my element. (laughs) (laughs) And so like I'm like, I need, you know, a week's worth of this to sleep and he's like well that's not how it works so like that was my crash course so yeah i'm a huge advocate for it actually i slept for the first time in a long time 
And uh, I don't advertise it to the world, but, you know, I think there's a place for it. And I think we need to understand that that place is, it, it's obvious. I mean, the, the, the PTSD is an epidemic. We're gonna, you're telling me right now we have something that has zero chemicals in it and we're gonna be able, it's gonna be able to help with sleep, depression, anxiety, and all these other issues that guys are dealing with, appetite, even. I mean, all it does for, for some of us is take the edge off. And that's just, that just makes us bearable. Like, I'm, I do, I, I'm, I'm moody. I'm kind of an asshole. Like, and it gets gotten to the point where my mom will be like, have you smoked yet? And I'm like, ugh, sorry. You know, and, and, and it helps. And, I mean, I don't want to go to jail or anything, but I think with the memory stuff, I'm not saying it's an end-all, be-all, it's going to fix everybody's problem, but, but like used properly with proper strands for proper situations. You don't ever walk up to a bar and say, give me a drink, and they're like, what do you want? You say, I don't care, give it to me. And that's how most people use it. That's the wrong way to use it. I'm talking about the guys that legitimately put effort into it. This strand helps me do this. Because that's saving lives. And, and some people get it and some people don't. There's organizations trying to get off the ground, but we got to beat the stigma. It's a lot of bullshit. And that's, I advocate for it. I think that people need to just stop giving a shit about other people's lives as far as individual rights go. I don't see how you can be pro-guns but anti-gay. Like, you don't want people to give a shit about your guns. Why do you give a shit about what, who they're marrying? And I think when people understand that that basic level of respect can come back, I think medical marijuana makes a lot of sense for cognitive issues, CTE with concussions in NFL. It's been scientifically shown to help improve synapses and synapse relaying of messages. Again, it's like this is the first time I've actually like openly talked about it. So I don't know exactly how to like. I mean, I live in Colorado. It's not only approved medicinally here for the last few years, but also recreationally. I go to Colorado uh, all the time. It's, and it's regulated through our own voting by municipality. So like the city of Colorado Springs doesn't have any recreational marijuana stores, but Manitou Springs does, Denver does, Pueblo does. Right. So you can, you can buy it just about anywhere. It's a little bit more expensive than medicinal marijuana. But I got to tell you that the same experience I had with sleep that you're talking about, Derek, is I came back from a combat tour in 2005 I was heavily medicating myself because I couldn't sleep. And I don't yeah, think, I don't, have, I don't have PTSD. I've, I've said this on the show multiple times. I don't have PTSD. I call what I have post-adversity growth. And it just changes you a little bit, right? right. So, but what I, what I couldn't do is I couldn't sleep. And I was heavily medicating myself using a, a cocktail of different drugs that I would get from my own medics that wasn't regulated at all by any of our doctors. And I would supplement that with alcohol right. when I didn't have anything. I, over the course of several years, I mean, we're talking, it was 10 years ago, you know, 12 years ago, I would wean myself off of things like flexural, you know, muscle relaxers that I yep. could get access to when I didn't have access to it anymore. And I got down to where I was still taking, I, I saw a doctor about a year ago, I was still taking about four times the normal dose of Benadryl at night. And I was adding alcohol and other things that just to get myself to go to sleep, not because I have any, I think, lasting issues from, from combat deployments, but because you get that constant up and down that we do to ourselves in combat, yep. we amp up and we stay up and we do it with some type of, you know, an additive. We, I mean, whether it's Red Bull or coffee or rippets, rippets. I mean, they give them to you, man. They give them to you by the case. Yeah. And then, and then you come back and you would do that, man. I would do it for three days at a time where I'd sleep an hour or two over three days. I'd come back. Just the only way I could go down is to take too. four flexural. And then I'd sleep for 14, 16 hours, and it's unhealthy. But you yeah. do it over and over again, and it's not just me. Or so many guys are doing it. I use, I use a heavy indica brand, strand of sleep every night. Like I sleep on a good night. I'll get four solid hours of sleep, maybe six. 
and like that's compared to the compared to the like I'd get an hour and a half spread out over a full night because I was afraid to drink. That's ultimately what it boiled down to, and it just it really just takes the edge off. That's all it does. That's all it does. I mean, it's not about getting high. It's not about right. it's not right. about trying to alter your mind. It's, it's about just about trying to society. sleep. For years, you've been functioning yep. without sleep, and it's yep. unhealthy. Yep. That's it. I'm just like, this is how I, I can function day to day in my life and not have to take, like, I, I eat organic. I, like, the only, I drink a diet soda to kill sugar cravings, like, a couple a week, two a week. And you're telling me you have a choice between smoking a plant or taking a handful of pills? Like, I'm sorry, doc. I'm going to take that plant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dry it out. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy myself. Because, yeah, you, we eat it primarily. Yeah. Because as athletes, you don't want that in your lungs. You don't want to deal yeah. with it. And, and it's easy. And it's not, we're not, we're not stoners. I'm not a hippie. Like, I, I go to the gym more times than everybody else. I also work and I run two nonprofits. It, it helps me function more efficiently. And that's just the bottom line. And there's too many guys that don't have our story, that haven't made it, that have killed themselves because of a stigma or bullshit or because big farm corporation or the government or whoever is going to lose too much fucking money. There's also guys without the story who don't think it's necessary, right? Who, who right. had the same experiences in combat. That but you just because that's their, that, that just because it didn't work for them or they don't need it doesn't mean they should deny it to other people. I'm not walking around saying, Hey, caffeine's bad for you. Don't drink it. Stop drinking coffee. That shit's addictive. I don't drink caffeine. I don't, but, but other I drink people, caffeine all day long. Yeah, but that's the thing is caffeine. If I drink more than a cup of coffee, it makes me sick. Yeah. So I avoid caffeine. I'm not going around judging people that take caffeine 12 times a day. Don't judge me for taking a rip off of a pipe and having a good lift. I also look at it like alcohol. I mean, how many people in America are addicted to alcohol? How many people just use it recreationally and safely, right? And how much bad shit happens? Nobody's going after taking out. I mean, we we did it once with a constitutional amendment, and it proved that it didn't work. You cannot legislate morality. So, and that's exactly what, what we're doing with, with this kind of thing. Well, people are still going off of that stupid movie, Marijuana Madness from the 50s. August, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. And that's, that, that's the stigma that we have to beat. Everybody expects you to be like, and yeah, you know what? But those, the, the hippies and the potheads and the, the typical stoners that everybody sees on cartoons, that shit just annoys the shit out of me. Seriously, I want to beat those guys up. (laughs) I want to be like, hey, officer, those guys. Yeah, it's those losers over there. You know what I mean? I think people got to get past that. And I think we will in the next three to five years. I think America's just going to finally realize that we need to stop trying to micromanage everybody else's life because our own lives are falling apart in front of us. I saw, based on the last election, where a lot of the change that you're describing is taking place throughout the country. A lot more states, or at least... Oh, it was four states, right? Yeah. At oh, least yeah. looking we at four, it... Four, and we got another, we got another three coming... Uh, I think it was four states then, and we have another three coming online this year. Yeah, so, That's good. I hope they all legalize it so everybody can go home from Colorado. <laughs> I mean, Colorado's a nice place, man. It's one of my favorite places. I got a buddy that I visit out there quite often. And it's I not just That's why I retired. I love it here. So you yeah, mentioned if I, if, my, if, I could, if I didn't live on the Atlantic and my front, and my front porch was the ocean, I would be out there. So you mentioned very early on, of course, you've been mentioning throughout the podcast about your working out. And you mentioned a little bit about Softly at the very beginning. So tell us more about how you got associated with those guys. You know, honestly, it happened through Team SAR. They came on board and they uh, offered out some of the, the supplements to the guys. 
Um, I was already kind of working with somebody on the side, so passed it off. But then I realized I had training, so I hit up Brent. And uh, he put me in touch with Bill and Aaron. And uh, I started doing their training, and they kind of followed me through the WIDA match in November down in Tampa with Rush Club. And we were supposed to go head-to-head, but Derek got, like, like bronchitis or the flu. Like, he showed up, and I didn't want him around me because it was gross. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he had to bow out, and then... Um, Dan Zminski stepped up and we did the uh, an adaptive non-adaptive match and that's kind of when they wanted to formalize things so they kind of they formally gave me a sponsorship started sending me the swag and we started working together on projects and my the main reason why I, I got on board with these guys is because it's more than just like yeah they have supplements they're they're basic they they get shit done you know what I mean uh, they don't taste great um, I've told them that they're working on it but, you know, they're good for what you need. But the programming is kind of what I went for. And that's what I do. Like, people always ask me, what do you do? I go, soulfully programming and a basic bodybuilding workout. It's no secret. You just got to go lift heavy shit and eat the right food. And, you know, these guys are great. They work with other non, they work with nonprofits. They sponsor a, a disenfranchised youth boxing program that, you know, that they've worked with Team Star for now on their second year. Like, they approached us wanting to give back to the community. So, it's you know, it's, it's just a good group of dudes that have, have like mind towards fitness and understand the importance of fitness and transitioning, and they want to be available. And, and at the same time, they have a certain philosophy in fitness that they offer to people. It's more of a mindset to life. It's, you know, die living's the, the hashtag that everybody uses because, you know, if I tell all my guys, if you're going to fuck up, fuck up going 100 miles an hour. Because you can always fix that. So if you die, do you doing? Go go do it. Doing 100 miles an hour, and that's the kind of crowd that we like to to associate with. That's exactly feeds into what I was going to ask you. What is your advice to those guys that are on active duty now? That are one looking at their future, but two maybe some of those guys are looking at the transition phase of it. What's your advice to those guys right now? To start looking for a job like nine months out if you want to go federal. Make yourself available. Make sure you know what you're going to do. Make sure you know where you're going to live. Look into uh, school districts. Look into health insurance, dental, job market. Don't surprise yourself when, like, your first year you're excited about being out of the military all gun-ho. The second year you're, like, trying to find your place, but you're still okay being, like, the dude on doing barbecues with the, the weird neighbors every weekend. And then the third year you just retrograde back to just wanting to be with your buddies and miss the service and those were your glory days and then you ride that out through your fourth year where something happens where you just kind of figure it out it takes legitimately four or five years of transition because there's there's mental stages that the guys aren't ready for and look killing yourself shouldn't be a fucking option get off the fucking drugs that make you think that okay some of you need them find alternates but like i'm telling you guys you're not solving problems by killing yourself and that's like, make sure that you're ready. Transitioning is not easy. No, it's definitely not. You're squaring the chest. Nothing worth it is easy, right? Yeah. I mean, everything we've ever done and accomplished in the military has been difficult. If you've, if you've went to any of the tough schools that most of us have been through, nobody wanted them to be easy. So to, to give yourself a sense of accomplishment, find something difficult. And for me, find something difficult that has a sense of service to it. And then do whatever it takes to accomplish it. Just like you've done in Ranger School, in a Q course, and in any hard thing you've done in the Army. Or in the, I don't think it's going to be easy. Like a lot of dudes I think have gone through all those high-speed schools you just listed. Yeah. And they get out and they go, I'm going to be a civilian. This is going to be a piece of cake. I've done all this shit. And then they get out and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Nothing Because nobody sense. cares. Exactly. Yeah. We're the only one that care about it. I mean, we think it's cool. 
right? But you start telling people about what you did, they really yeah. even, they don't know about it. They don't know. You know how many I tell people now? I'm like, I, I don't even tell people I have a Ranger tab because then I have to spend 30 minutes explaining the difference between just tab and a scroll, yeah, sure. training to RTB and battalion, the difference between an Army Ranger and an Army guy paratrooper with the tab, and then if I fuck it up, or if somebody else fucks it up, or if the civilian doesn't remember all the jargon and they put out there with my name next to it, I get a million fucking messages from butthurt ass battalion dudes, or I get five million messages from my friends telling me, why aren't you telling them about why are you selling your career short, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> At the end of the day, no one gives a fuck. Nobody Stop. cares. No one cares. Yeah. If a dude says he's an army ranger and he's not an army ranger, who fucking cares? If a guy says he's an operator and he's not an operator, who fucking cares? You know when you care? When it's you and him in the bathroom and you fucking accident he accidentally slips. That's when you give a shit. Stop putting it on air. If you really give a fuck, just go handle it. Don't put it on blast unless they're making money from it. Just quit. Go sock him in the fucking face. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, goddamn, people lose sleep over this shit? Seriously? That's uh, how I think, though, man. I can't keep I, a thought for more than 20 seconds. It's no different than how somebody asks, hey, how are you doing? They don't give a shit. They, yeah. they just want to hear, uh -huh. I'm good. Right? And then that's it. You go on to the next thing. But just like you said, if they ask a question that requires a deep explanation, they didn't expect that. They don't want it. Right. So yeah. give them something short. Yeah, I was in the Army. Yeah, and that's why I, I tell now. I was in no, yeah, I, tell people, I was in E4, and I, I was in a training accident. Really? That's Are you it. Gonna leave me alone if I say yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, right? Yeah. I used to have a boss so. that would say, uh, when I'd ask him how he's doing, he'd say, you asking out of conversation or are you asking out of concern? Because there's right. two different answers I'm going to give you, depending upon it. That's like, right. And it depends on who's asking. That's really right. what matters. If it's like my mom or my best friend, I'll tell them. If it's like some stranger, oh, let me pour my guts out to you on the table. Yeah, I'm all right, bro. I'm trying to lift. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me when I'm in the squat rack. Don't ask yeah. me anything. Don't, you know what? Do me a favor. If, if my headphones are on like this where both ears are covered, just assume I don't want to fucking talk to you. Now, occasionally I move my headphones like this where one's off and one's on. Look, if you have really nice tits, a sweet ass, or you want to give me a lot of money, come talk to me. If you don't fit into those categories, don't fucking talk to me. I think All we're right. back to the breastfeeding thing again, Robert. Yeah, we've come full, full circle. circle. Full circle. There's a recurring theme of boobs in our <laughs> podcast. Derek, appreciate having you on, man, especially talking yeah, about yeah. your background, softly, all those great things, and a lot of the topics that we talked about. I think they're going to resonate with the audience. Yeah, I'm sorry I talked too much or went on rants. No, you didn't talk too much at all. I appreciate it. And when I come out to the Cannabis Cup, we're gonna we'll talk history. Right on, let's do it. <laughs> that's all I talk about uh, anymore. Yeah, that's that's what I do. All right. Well, I appreciate it, gentlemen. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's great talking to you, Derek. Yes, sir. You have a good one. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device. And we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.